Uh, we're getting so close to the end. I think there's only one more episode of chapters after this, right? Because this is chapter 55, 56. I think this book has 58 chapters, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Let me look. I could be wrong. And I'm sure we'll do a wrap-up after that. But I think mm. next week is the last chaptery. <laughs> chapter The last episode. chaptery. <laughs> 57 58 yeah so next week is the last uh episode of season four before the wrap-up wow it's the penultimate gosh wow well we did that thing we sure well we haven't we yet but we're about that. to <laughs> um do you have any things for me i have two quick things one okay. is quick and then one we said we were going to discuss so okay one is just a recommendation i it's something we've been watching that I really enjoy. I don't know if I've ever talked about it in previous seasons, but there's a you show haven't. on Netflix called Love, Death, and Robots. I've seen the first episode of it. Oh, of like the it. first season? Yes, where it's like the guy, blue, the, blue, the blue artist guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I've seen. And I didn't, I, I'm sure it's good. I didn't get into it mainly because I wanted... I had like finished watching something and I wanted something more like long-term story. And these are short little yes. soundbite kind of things. And so it didn't, it wasn't the right vibe for me at the time. Yeah. I think the thing about it is I don't love every single episode. Cause as you said, each episode is its own totally different thing. Mm-hmm. I think the third season is what just came out. And some of them are continuations over, um, of some previous episodes, but I think it's like random. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't love every single one of them. But the ones I like a lot, I love. <laughs> and I love just seeing different art styles portrayed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's obviously all, they all involve love, death, and or robots. So <laughs> it's just a fun thing to watch. The episodes vary in, in length, but neither, none of them are super long. So you're not just sitting there forever. And you can kind of pick based on art style if you're just trying to, you know, see what you like. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, is each one done by like different people yeah they're all done by different creators um it's like all different different storylines different creators different mediums different types of artwork definitely something worth watching if you're looking for something easy to get into um with very little um (laughs) commitment because like you said one like 30 minute episode is you're one and done (laughs) um so yeah shout out to that and then last week i had mentioned i was almost finished catching up on stranger things uh-huh. I've I've now caught up okay. to where you are. So I think by the time this comes out, the next two episodes might be just about to premiere. But okay. at this point, we're, you know, at the end of season four before the last two come out. How how are you feeling? Okay, season three, it, I think, was the weakest of the, of the bunch so far. Is that the one that ended in the big mall fight? Yes. Okay. I just feel like season three... They split up all the characters into like five different storylines, which I mm-hmm. I liked that, but I think only two of the storylines I cared about, oh, okay. and the other three I thought were very like just let's get through this. Yeah, and um, I know we're watching. Don't get me wrong, I know we're watching a show about like alien life forms and 
of the world and monsters. So, you know, suspension of disbelief and grain of salt and all of that. Yeah. However, even within the world they've created, I find it very hard to believe that these kids are outrunning Russian spies and, like, fighting them bare-fisted. And it's just a little bit too much. Season three was just a little bit too much, like, yeah, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. The I would say I would agree with you. Like, obviously, for a, a fantasy-type story thing like that, like, I can suspend the disbelief of, like, oh, this is, like, magical stuff. Cool. Sure. But then when the real world stuff becomes wildly implausible, it it makes the ability to like enjoy the magic of the weirdness. Yeah. And Davy Davy had a good point that I, I didn't consider when I was initially annoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like, yes, Stranger Things, its whole shtick sort of is playing on these eighties tropes in eighties media. Yes. And you did see a lot of this kind of nonsense. And um, slapstickery and, like, kids being hero, that kind of stuff in mm-hmm. these old, which I get, but still, it just doesn't ring the same sort of truth and yeah. believability you get from the first two seasons. Right. Um, so that's my thoughts on season three. Season four, I can see what you're saying, which you said last week. I don't think the creators know what they're doing anymore. I don't think they have any idea what they're doing anymore. I do think season four is, like, a a big return at least to the original sort of things I loved about Stranger Things. Okay. Um, I like the new sort of villain. Um, I like the, yeah, there you go. I like the backstory. I like the fact that, you know, the original Stranger Things, the, the, the baddie, the, um, Demogorgons, they kind of figured out from their connection to Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And we have a similar kind of vibe here. And yes. I like some of the new characters they introduced. Oh, by the way, did you know the um, the girl Robin, the queer character? Mm-hmm. Her mom is Uma Thurman and her dad is Ethan Hawke. No, I didn't know that. That was pretty shocking when I saw that, but I was like, okay. Oh. Um, but yeah, I like some of the new characters they've introduced and I, I get it. I still just feel like the things they're doing with Winona Ryder's character and the, and the other guys... <sighs> The Russian prison. It's just like, it's better than what they were doing last season. Cause Is it though? <laughs> it's better because it's like, okay, you know, whatever. But let's not forget these Russian spies and these bad guys were like getting their butts kicked by a high Steve and Robin and Dustin last season. Right. But exactly. now they're like, you know, actual, you know, demon, <laughs> demonic people. Anyway, but... Um, these people, the the parents just don't really seem to actually care about their kids, like, at all. (laughs) It's very strange. Like, Like, at all? These kids exist in a world very different from the real world. Yeah, and I have to say, this Argyle character that they've introduced... Which one's Argyle? He's the Cheech and Chung, um, high all the time, Oh, him, Argyle, yeah. Enough. Why? Why is he there? It's not funny, it's not enjoyable, it's annoying, but anyway, I am enjoying season four a lot more than I was enjoying season three, and I heard season five is the last one, so I hope they wrap it up in a a more uh, enjoyable way. I think those are my uh, hot Stranger Things takes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Hot Stranger Takes. (laughs) Goodbye. All right. Well, (sighs) shall we get into the episode? Uh... We shall. Okay. <laughs> All right. Chapter 55 is called Into the Deep. 
And the, what I would say, the very misleading icon is waves. Hmm. So you think it's going to be sea folk sort of thing? Hmm. And I get it, I think. But I think misleading. Okay. There I said it. There I said it. Boom. There it is. (laughs) But now we said it. (laughs) Ooh, are you watching Ultimate Girls Trip? I finished the first episode. Oh. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. All three episodes already I've watched. I, I don't love it as much as the Ultimate Girls Trip season one. It's it's much darker in tone. We'll just get into it, though. You're going to... Okay. I mean, seeing Phaedra back on my screen is just bringing me a lot of joy. And Taylor. Uh, I, I, honestly, all of them besides Vicky, I'm very happy to see. Yeah, Vicky is a vile human being. Oh, my God. From the from the jump. And dur- Anyway, yes. Ultimate Girls Trip, I just have to say... I'm I'm in, I'm just like really love and Dubai the the new era of Housewives is doing it for me. Okay, great. Have you watched Dubai? I've seen the first episode. Oh, okay, all right. Let's get into the book. Sorry, a little <laughs> quick aside. Just when you thought we weren't done. Yeah. So chapter fifty five into the deep, it's Nynaeve, and she is fleeing the scene from the big bail flyer blowout thing we just saw from the last chapter. Um, she's going mostly unnoticed because basically everyone is, is running around crazy. I mean, the whole building is falling apart. It seems like from, uh, Jeannie's lack of control over the bail fire. Yes. She is trying to escape to try to find her friends. And she notices along the way that Leandrin and Rihanna are also fleeing and uh, she has luckily let go of the power herself, so she's remaining incognito from them. It says that the two of them were channeling, like lightly channeling, as they were like running, or she noticed they were, but she didn't notice a glow around them. Is that just because they were just barely using the power and she was far away, or...? That's a good question. Um, I it wonder... it a little later in the chapter, too. I think, it, and it's only from Nynaeve's point of view that that happens, yes. right? I think it's because of Nynaeve's block. Oh, she's blocked? Well, uh, not like that kind of block, but you know how she can't channel unless she's oh. angry? Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay. I think that's what it, what that's about. All right, I was like, did I miss something? Um, all right, so she's hurrying along, and she eventually meets up with Elaine and Jeanine at their agreed-upon spot, this, like, hallway, and... She notices Amathera is there as well. She is sort of disguised, I guess, as best as she could be. She's wearing, like, a veil and a more upscale version of, like, servant's clothes. Mm-hmm. Nynaeve it, she is very excited to see Elaine, so she goes and gives her a hug, ignoring Aegean <laughs> And she asks if all went well, did the plan go according to plan? <laughs> and she finds out that mostly it has. There was just a small hiccup along the way. And apparently, despite Elaine's pleas for Amathera to follow their plan to the letter and keep her mouth closed, Amathera did try to get her guards to sort of eliminate the dark friends on their own. But Elaine thinks that she set her straight before any damage was done. Yeah. And uh, Amathera seems kind of like a scolded child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... Elaine mentions, you know, I'm glad you're here, but you're late. So what happened? Is all of this 
insanity you was that did you do this yeah and she mentions also that um during this havoc and her being late a Jianin was the one who wanted to go and run and save her which Nynaeve finds a little bit strange and she's finds herself reluctantly thanking her for because mm-hmm. remember she doesn't want to like her nope. because of all of the Adam and Shan Chan stuff and the lies but she can't help but feel this connection to her and gratitude she tells them that she met Megedian, who you affectionately called Maki before, and I just loved it. Maki, yeah. <laughs> she met Megedian along the way. She tells her about the encounter and that um, while capturing Megedian temporarily, Jeannie almost killed her with the balefire coming out of the Tarangril that she couldn't control, but she is unharmed, so nothing to worry about about her personally. And Elaine is like, hold on, rewind. You captured a Forsaken? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, no big deal. But she escaped, so it's, it's, it didn't matter anyway. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay, that is something. Um, yeah. With all of the panic and shouting and destruction happening, they're supposing that Leandrin is probably on a war path to see who caused all of this. They're probably right. And they're thinking, where the hell are these guys that are supposed to be meeting us here and, and getting us out of here? Because we don't have a lot of time. Amethera says that it's likely her legion that is, uh, I, I don't know what she's, she's talking about. She says, like, she thinks that all of the havoc that's happening right now is due to her legion, or maybe her legion is keeping the guys out. Yes, that's what she's saying. Okay. And Elaine shoots her a look as soon as she says that, like, no one asked you. <laughs> right. And she just shuts her mouth instantly. So apparently something has happened off screen um, between the two of them afterwards that this, whatever scolding she has gotten must have been pretty effective, let's say, yes. from, from Elaine because she is very obedient now. Nynaeve tells them that she's got the goods. She, she was able to, you know, find the seal. She's got the male Adam, for lack of a better term, for now. And then suddenly the door swings open and there is Juelin. So he is standing there before them, bleeding from his face. Clearly, it's been a challenge to get here. And he's like, all right, guys, hurry outside. We got to get out of here. When they peek through the door, they see a mass of white cloaks is being held off by Tom, Baldemon, and his group of sailors who are helping them, sort of like in this big circular sort of a shield around where they are. Mm-hmm. And Nynaeve finds it really hard to focus on their plan of escaping because she's just thinking about how many men are likely dying to protect them. Tom is like, hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, come on, that's nice and all, but, you know, more are going to die if you don't get out of here. So they snap out of it. The four women start on their escape route. And the group of sailors form a tighter barrier around them and sort of, mm-hmm. like, follow them as they're able to, like, hold off any white cloaks or guards who are fighting them so that the girls can flee. Ojean and trips along the way, and Nynaeve catches her and helps her up, and she thinks to herself, quote, We are not so different. Not the same, but not all that different. And they sort of smile a understanding smile at one another. Once they make it to the streets of Chanchi- Chanchico, Tanchico, there's not mm-hmm. much hubbub anymore but just the normal sort of tanchiko hubbub hubbub um and they of course know they don't really have a lot of time to to rest they have to get into the inn so as they're like making their way to the three plum court 
Tom takes the opportunity to bow and address Lady Amathera as the Panarch and offer his services to her. And she sort of grimaces and looks at Elaine before begrudgingly saying, You mistake me, good sir. I am only a poor refugee from the countryside rescued by these good women. And they're like, wow, okay. She's on a a leash right now. Um, They get to the Three Palm Court. Elaine introduces the Panarch as Thera. Not the best nickname, (laughs) Um, but I think effective enough. And uh, she says that she is a... So just someone that was poor and looking to work off her debt to stay someplace. And Renja's like, okay, sure, let's go. You can you can work here. And as she's, like, guiding her to the kitchen to help her, like, find some sort of, like, busy work to do, she's like, you're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I think a little makeover would really just t- do you well. <laughs> Make your eyes pop. <laughs> exactly. Once the rest of them are in the Chamber of Fallen Blossoms, which I will never tire of saying, <laughs> Nynaeve is like, Okay, how did you get her to agree to all of this? Thera, and and she's, like, following your every command. And Elaine is, like, taking off her shoes and rubbing her feet. And she's like, well, the cries of death to the Panarch didn't didn't hurt to help her sort of get in line on the way out. Um, But it seems that Lady Amathera would like to get get the throne back, but on her own accord without depending on Lord Andric. And she wants the help of her own soldiers, and Nynaeve is like, okay, well, let's rewind. How did she get away from you in the first place before, if you guys were watching her, to, like, try to to do her own thing? And Elaine continues rubbing her bare feet and casually telling them that the woman is clueless to what it's like to be common, to be a common person. And Nynaeve is like, okay, Pot, tell me more about right. Kettle. <laughs> and she continues on and says that since Amathera slash Thera had no idea of the plight of those in Tanchico, eating at soup kitchens and being impoverished while the palace is, like, feasting, maybe serving here at the inn would do her some good to get some humility. Yeah. And Nynaeve is like, uh, I don't know how much time we have for her to do that, but she's sort of wondering who the bigger threat is. Is it Leandrin and co., or is it Megedian? And she thinks it's probably Leandrin. I strangely agree but yeah. I, I do think she's grossly underestimating Megedian in this scene. Yeah, I think probably, yeah, I think she is underestimating her a bit. But I also think she's, you know, there's more of the Black Aja. She, they don't necessarily know what they've up to, what they're up to uh, yeah. now. And who there's more of them. They don't even know, like, that much about every single one of them. They even mention, like, she doesn't know what other kind of Tarangriel they have because so many so many of them say like use unknown mm-hmm. and uh Magedian, at least she knows is like sneaky right and isn't going to just be like as Popping vengeful out. as yeah. leandrin is like leandrin is probably like I-, I can only imagine what is going on in leandrin's head right now yeah Oof. so as she's kind of pondering this tom tells them that they might have a little bit of time because the palace, unless they noticed, um, is basically going to be all but rubble soon. Mm-hmm. So there's really nowhere to eject the Black Aja from at this time. So, you know, maybe they do have a bit of time. And he mentions to Elaine that she will make a fine queen someday based on all of her decision making and her demeanor. And Elaine, you know, goes over to him and is tending his wounds. And she's very maternal with Tom. And he's like, okay, so. Out, of, out with it, Nynaeve. Like, show us what you got. Show us the goods. Let's see. Let's see what this was all for. 
So she empties the contents of her bag and Damon recognizes the seal right away and he says, oh, I, I had one just like that once. And mm-hmm. Nynaeve is like, sure, Jan, you right. have a seal. Okay, whatever. Um, but little does she know, he, he did. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of troubling to her, like even if he didn't have a seal, how many seals are remaining on the prison for the Dark One because it's not many. Ajinin studies the collar and bracelets and notes how they have a lot of differences from the Adam in both material and construction. And Nynaeve says that they are as different from the Adam as she and Ajinin are from each other. And I'm like, ooh, metaphor, simile. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> I was really into that kind of comparison. Um, Juilin suggests taking the pieces, you know, both of them to the tower for safekeeping. And Nynaeve is like, um, the seal can go to the tower, but this collar thing needs to be destroyed because basically if the tower has it or if the enemy has it, it's still just as much of a danger to Rand in her mind, which right. she's not necessarily wrong, no. especially now that we know that the wearer of the collar is eventually going to take control of it and then be able to control the people holding it. And, and that is mind-blowing to me. Now Elida has control of the tower. I know. I just literally just thought of that at the end of this chapter. I was mm. like, oh, my God. Swan is still, like, on the run. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that I didn't even think about that. Elaine tries to destroy it at Nynaeve's suggestion, but she tries and nothing happens. Like, she's trying to channel fire at it and, like, melt it or something, but nothing. And in this moment is the other time when... Channeling is, channeling is happening, but Nynaeve can't see it. And is that the same reason? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. All right, good. So Nynaeve then asks Damon if he's willing to take them and toss them into the deepest part of the sea that he knows. And he agrees, and he says that he'll bring them just... He knows just the place to bring them to, and he's going to discard them out in the middle of the sea near the Aiel Samara. And she's like, great here you go, get them off my hands, and gives them to him. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe not the best person to give them to because um, he was captured by Eugene and, and her her baddies before. Mm-hmm. So who's to say he can't be captured by other Shan-Chan or the Black Aja or Magedian? I mean, I would not let those things out of my sight if I were them. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. saying. But hey, we'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> So he leaves, and um, she notices that Eugene is frowning at Baldemont's exit, and it makes her long to get back to Lan because she feels similarly or more towards him, of course, and she wants to figure all of that out and see, you know, what's next for them and for her and destiny and all that. And then they all agree they're going to go check on Thera and see what she's doing if she's uh, settling in, cooking up a storm or whatever. And the chapter comes to an end. Mm. Well, are you ready for my chapter? I am, but I just want to again say, sea folk, waves, because Damon is going to take it to the water? I don't know. Those well, are my thoughts. Yeah? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, chapter 56 is titled Golden Eyes, and the sigil for this chapter is a wolf because it is a parent chapter. I have to say... Yes. I know it's been a long time since we've recorded again, minus last episode, but I was uh-huh. almost like, oh yeah, where did Perrin leave off? <laughs> oh yeah. So, 
we are back in Emmons Field with Perrin, and he's in the Wine Spring Inn, and it's very quiet and solemn. Only he and Aram are in there, and he's scratching his uh, pen on a letter that he's writing. And Aram is apparently just kind of like sitting there staring at Perrin, and Perrin is like wondering, like, what is, why is he staring at me? Um, <laughs> obviously, he's in love with you, Perrin. Hello. Hey. So then Ban Alcine comes through the door and informs Perrin that the Aiel are back, and they've brought word that Trollocs are coming from the north and the south, and there are thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And he calls Perrin Lord Perrin, which annoys Perrin. <laughs> Get over and then, it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's too late. You missed your chance. Yeah. Um, he looks at his letter, which reads, I will not ask your forgiveness for what I did. I do not know if you could give it, but I will not ask. You are more precious to me than life. Never think I have abandoned you. When the sun shines on you, it is my smile. When you hear the breeze stir through the apple blossoms, it is my whisper that I love you. My love is yours forever. Perrin. Perrin. I know. Beautiful. And, and then he's like, I wish I was better with words. Oh, right. All right. <laughs> and then beautiful. he folds it up and writes Fail Ibarra on it and places it on the mantle, hoping that it will reach her eventually. Mm-hmm. So Perrin is uh, wearing his marriage ribbons, which is a custom in the two rivers. There are little ribbons on uh, coming down from his lapels. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's supposed to wear it for a week and... Uh, Fayil had apparently tried to tie one in his beard, and he's wishing that he had let her before she left. So sweet. Aram is close behind Perrin and the Companions, which is the little ragtag group of young men who are obsessed with Perrin, are there with his wolf head banner. And apparently when they, at first they had been kind of like reluctant to be part of this group or whatever, but now are like fighting over who gets to carry the wolf head banner. And Ban, as he approaches them, whispers to another guy, which Perrin hears, and he says that Perrin is as cool as a winter pond. Maybe it won't be so bad today. Mm. Perrin sees the women of Emmons Field gathered on the green in the center of town, and they're in a circle five or six deep, shoulder to shoulder with uh, pole arms made from scythes and pitchforks and holding knives and cleavers. And... He hops on Stepper and rides towards them and sees that inside the circle of women are children, are all the children of the village. And Daisy Conger tells him, we have it all planned out. If the Trollocs break through anything, you men are going to be busy, so we will take the children out. The older ones know what to do, and they've all played hide-and-seek in the woods, just to keep them safe until they can come out. And Perrin sees that the older ones are boys and girls of 13 or 14 who all had like multiple children strapped to their backs and uh, holding other ones and holding some by the hand. And girls older than 14 are with the women in the kind of ring of uh, guarding guardians. Mm -hmm. And uh, the tinkers are with the children because again, they won't fight. Um, And Perrin apologizes to Alsbeth Lewin for sending Fahil away. He's like, I know it wasn't fair for me to get her out of here. And she's like, we wouldn't have expected you to do anything different. And Perrin's like, oh, I should have known I couldn't fool you. Or sorry, I tried to fool you. And they're like, they laugh because he didn't fool them. And they're like, we don't think you fooled Fahil either. But okay. <laughs> okay, sure, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
Perrin gives orders to the companions that if the fight goes badly, they are to fall back and help the women and the children escape. And he tells Aram the same, but Aram says that he goes where Perrin goes. So the white cloaks are mounted on horses at the green as well, and Perrin says that he thought they would be at their places by now, and uh, Jarrett Bayar says that they're leaving, and Perrin is like, oh fuck, because that's 400 trained soldiers who had agreed to help in the fight. Right. And Perrin is like, what? And they're like, you're obviously a dark friend. This is part of a big scheme. We're getting out of here. And Perrin is like, do you really think I'm a dark friend after everything you've seen here and all the Trollocs I've killed and all the Trollocs that have tried to kill me? And Bornhold is like, it's just dark friend subterfuge. So ridiculous. Yes. But Perrin strikes a deal with him that when the fighting is over, if they stay and help, he will let them arrest him. And the Emmonsfielders protest at this, and Bornhold is like, that's an empty promise. You mean for everyone to die here? Um... Da, 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 but I will see you responsible f- and I will see you dead for your part in my father's death. And Perrin is like, but they stay, they agree to stay. And Perrin heads out to the wall of stakes facing out of the village and the men with spears in ranks behind those uh, stakes. And behind them in ranks are men with bow and arrow and the catapults that Alana and Varen have been using to shoot magic exploding boulders. And Perrin speaks with Matt's dad and kind of gets the lay of the land here. Abel Coffin is guarding, not guarding, leading this group of villagers at the south of town. And they raise a cheer of golden eyes and Lord Perrin. And he's like, God damn it, I wish I had stomped harder on that in the beginning. (laughs) At the south of the village, Tam is leading the men there. Uh, who reminds Perrin that two river folks are tough and they will do themselves proud today. And Perrin decides that he will station himself to the north side of the village and thanks to Fail to fly free and that this was as good a place to die as any. Bran Alvir is in charge at the north along with Gaul and Chiad and Loyal is up there with a pair of wood axes in hand. And we learned that Perrin had apparently tried to get Loyal to leave too, but he had refused and had joked with Perrin that maybe when this is all over, somebody will write a story about me being a hero. Oh, and look, so cute. Robert Jordan did. I know. <laughs> you are a hero. Of course he's not going to leave Perrin. Yeah. So Varen is with the catapults on this side, and he rides over to her and uh, saying, like, I'm surprised you and Alana stayed, uh, because hunting for girls who can channel can't be worth getting killed or keeping strings tied to, to Varen either. And Varen is like, is that what we're doing? <laughs> and she says that if she could split herself in three, she would tie herself to Matt and Rand and Perrin. And even if she had to follow them, or even if she had to marry them to stay with them day and night. And Perrin's like, I'm already married. Back off. <laughs> and Varen says like, yes, but you don't know what marrying Zareen Bashir means, do you? And then she touches his axe and asks him when he will give it up for the hammer. And Perrin is like, confused, doesn't know what she's talking about, but doesn't really have a lot of time to think about it, because suddenly they hear a roar of Isam as an army of thousands of Trollocs trot into sight, followed by Mirdral. And they shout Isam again, which Varen thinks is interesting. And Perrin is, agrees, thinking this is the first time he's ever heard a Trolloc say anything understandable, not that he knew what it meant. 
Mm-hmm. You've encountered that name before, correct? Yeah. I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't remember, like, meeting that person. Okay. Um, by next episode, I'll I'll just do a little searching to see what you should know, if anything. Okay. Okay, so the army charges the two rivers, and the as they get close, the archers begin a volley, shooting down Trolloc after Trolloc, and the ca- catapults launching their explosives into their ranks, taking down even more, even some mere drawl. But Perrin notes that the gaps are filled as quickly as they appear, and it hardly appears to diminish their number. Varen is galloping from catapult to catapult to work her magic on the boulders. The men keep firing their arrows, but the Trollocs make it to the rows of stakes. Many of them are impaled upon them as they scramble over them to break into the town. As they get closer, the men switch from bows to pole arms and halberds, stabbing the Trollocs as they rush forward. But the line of Two Rivers men starts to bow inward, and Perrin thinks that this line can't break or all will be lost, and so he orders them to fall back as he splits a Trolloc with an axe. Men are going down around him uh, while trying to like haul back injured members of the village while still fighting, and the line falls back between the houses. Varen loses her horse, and now she's on foot fighting with balls of fire while uh, her warder, Tomas, is fighting Trollocs around her, keeping her safe. Gaul, Chiad, and Loyal are all fighting bravely. Chiad is down to one spear, and Gaul is just down to a heavy knife at this point. And uh, men from the east and the west are peppering Trollocs with arrows, but it's just not enough. And suddenly a Trolloc pulls Perrin out of his saddle, and he goes down with his horse kind of like landing on his leg to the point of almost breaking it. Mm -hmm. And the Trolloc is about to get him, but Aram slices it through the neck before spinning around and taking out another. Suddenly Perrin is fighting a mirror draw, fighting for his life, finally succeeds in burying his axe in its face, and then looks to the side and sees Daisy Conger stab a Trolloc through the throat with her pitchfork, while Marin Alvier hamstrings it with a cleaver and then severs its spine at the base of its neck. And then another Trolloc lifts Bodhi Cawthon into the air by her braid while she's screaming. She hacks at it with a wood axe while her sister Aldrin stabs it through the chest with a spear, and another woman stabs it with a butcher knife. And RJ writes, all up and down the line, as far as Perrin could see, the women were there. Their numbers were the only reason the line still held, almost driven back against the houses. Women among the men, shoulder to shoulder, some no more than girls, but then some of these men had never shaved yet, some never would. Perrin wonders where the white cloaks are and if the children are safe, and a young boy kind of appears at his side and yells, Lord Perrin, and Perrin kind of like shakes him off, but carries him away from the Trollocs and the fighting, and uh, the little boy tells him that Tam says someone is attacking the Trollocs, and they, they, they don't know who, but they hear people yelling, Devon ride, and Perrin sees from the north a hail of arrows falling down into the Trollocs from behind, and Perrin tells the boy he did well and to go back to the children. Mm-hmm. And he wonders if what he's seeing is even real, and RJ writes, beneath a red eagle banner at the edge of where the fields had been, had been stood long rows of men in farmer's clothes, shooting their bows methodically. And beside the banner, Fayil sat swallow saddle, Bane at her stirrup. It had to be Bane behind that black veil, and he could see Fayil's face clearly. She looked excited, fearful, terrified, and exuberant. She looked beautiful. So Fayil has led an army of men to ambush the Trollocs from behind, and the Trollocs are being slaughtered, and 
as this is happening, the young boy arrives at Perrin's side again and uh, calls for Lord Perrin. And Perrin suddenly realizes that the kind of screams of battle have shifted to like cheers of cries and victory as the last of the Trollocs fall. And the young boy tells him to say that, or young boy tells him that Tam said that the Trollocs are breaking and the men are indeed shouting Devon ride and because he heard them. Mm-hmm. And Perrin ruffles his hair and asks his name and he says that he's Jame Ibarra, Lord Perrin, I'm your cousin. And RJ writes, Perrin squeezed his eyes shut for a moment to keep the tears in. Even when he opened them, his hand still trembled on the lad's head. Well, cousin Jame, you tell your children about today. You tell your grandchildren, your grandchildren's children. And Jame says, girls are horrible. And Perrin tells him that one day he'll find out they're the opposite of horrible. Or he won't, and that's fine, Perrin. He Mm -hmm. could be queer, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Perrin looks at the sun and realizes that the battle felt like it had been going on for a lifetime, but only an hour or so has really passed. And Perrin hops on Stepper and gallops straight for Fael, who gallops straight for him. And as he gets closer, he sees the marriage ribbon still twined through her hair. And she says to him, I said I would go. I did not say how far. She tells him she had hardly needed to convince the people of Watch Hill to follow her. And she's so jazzed that they did because even Queen Tenobia of Saldea had never led men into battle and she'll be so jealous. <laughs> and he's just staring at her in amazement, not saying anything. And she's like wondering if he's mad at her for finding the loophole in her promise to leave. And he just says that he loves her and hugs her tightly. And she says, I was so afraid I would be too late. The Watch Hill men marched as fast as they could, but when we arrived and I saw the Trollocs fighting right in among the houses, so many of them as if the village were being buried in an avalanche. And she asks if the Devon Ride men made it, and he says yes, and asks if she arranged that too. And she says that she would have if she could. She had hoped that, remember that guy who uh, kind of came into the village saying, like, we're coming before he died? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She said that she had hoped that that was what that message meant, but she couldn't risk getting his hopes up if she was wrong. So she asks Perrin not to be angry with her for all of this, and he starts to promise that he'll never be angry with her. And he's, she says, like, never promise that because you will be angry with me, <clears throat> and I need you to tell me when you are. And so he agrees to that. He looks around and sees that the sees dr- dead Trollocs, as far as the eye can see, already being picked out by crows. And he sees survivors smiling and hugging each other. Gaul and Chiat are holding hands. And Varen and Alana have survived. And even Senbui has made it. And a bunch of them come and kind of like form a big circle around Perrin and Fael. And he's like, why isn't, why is everybody just standing here? What's happening? And then the white cloaks ride out. Mm-hmm. And Bornhalt says to Perrin, it's done, Shadowspawn. As we agree, agreed, I arrest you now for dark friend and murderer. And Fayol is pissed. <sighs> and the circle of Emmons Fielders starts jeering and roaring that they won't let Perrin be taken. And RJ writes, Keeping his gaze on Bornhold, Perrin lifted a hand and silence descended slowly. When all was quiet, he said, I said I would not resist if you aided. Surprising how calm his voice was, inside he seethed with a slow, cold anger. If you aided, White Cloak, where were you? The man did not answer. Mm-hmm. And 
Daisy says, they were all on the green lined up as pretty as girls ready for a dance. They never stirred. That's what made the women come to join the fight. They saw the men about to be overrun and the white cloaks just sat there. And Bornhald, again, is like, I'll see you hang. I hate you, blah, blah, blah. And the white cloaks start to like draw their swords to fight to take Perrin, but they hear all kinds of bows being drawn with arrows pointed at the white cloaks and the big circle of Emmons fielders are all uh, ready to fight to keep Perrin from being arrested and hanged. And Perrin's like, you didn't help, and it's now time for you to go. Not only from Emmons Field, but the two rivers, and you've got to leave right now. Mm -hmm. And Bornholt says that he will see Perrin hang one day as he wheels his horse around and leads the men away. And uh, a man approaches Perrin as they're riding away, saying that they'll follow them to make sure that they leave the two rivers, and calls him Lord Perrin about a million times. <laughs> and when he leaves, he asks Fayil if he knows who he was, and it's apparently the mayor of Watch Hill, along with the village council. And Fayil says, the Watch Hill Women's Circle will be sending a delegation down under their wisdom once it's certain it is safe to see if this Lord Perrin is right for the two rivers, they say. But they all wanted me to show them how to curtsy to you. And the wisdom, Adele uh, Galen, is bringing you some of her dried apple tarts. Um. <laughs> I know, I want some dried apple tarts. Well, I don't know if I want dried apple tarts. But I'll take it. Apple tarts. Um, <laughs> Perrin groans and is like, I'm just a blacksmith. And she says, you're a sweet fool, my lord blacksmith. It's too late to turn back now. And then she asks him if he wants to bone. And he grabs her, and they gallop to the end to do some boning. Yes. <laughs> then we get a POV shift to Ordith, a.k.a. Padden Fane. Mm. And he is pissed, saying, thinking to himself that everything had been going according to plan. Even Isam had played into his hands. And he wonders why the man had stopped bringing Trollocs to the two rivers. He should have brought enough to turn the two rivers black with them. So now we know Isam was the man bringing Trollocs into the two rivers. Mm -hmm. All of this, apparently, was part of his grand plan to pull Rand Althor to him, uh, which failed on multiple levels, because Rand, I don't think, even knows that any of this is happening. <laughs> uh, but Perrin, or Patton wanted the two rivers to burn along with Rand. And he spots the red eagle banner flying above Emmons Field and thinks that these people know nothing of Manetherin. And he starts laughing, and his hand kind of goes for where his knife would hang on his belt. Uh, but he realizes, as he's reaching for the ruby dagger, welcome to the stage, ruby dagger, <laughs> that he no longer has it. What, I mean, he knew that, but it's like a, a muscle Phantom, instinct yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and that he thinks the White Tower has stolen it. And so he tells his little ragtag band of former White Cloaks and Mirdral that they ride for Tarvalon, but first to Camelin. And that's the end of the chapter. He is like every villain from like a 90s cartoon or like show who's like, foiled again, no. Yeah. He's like yeah, Rita he, from Power he Rangers. He thinks he's like the grand uh, <laughs> nemesis when they're like, who? Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of this chapter? Uh, these were great. I mean, these were a great chapters. I feel like everyone's kind of wrapping up. I feel like if we have two chapters left, we're going to have to obviously return to Rand and all of that. I hope we get more of what's happening with Swan and I guess it's Leanne and what's his name? Loghain. Loghain. I'm very curious to see what's happening there. So I hope we get that in one chapter at least. 
because I uh-huh. feel like the last chapter is probably going to be Rand and Matt and them. But um, yeah, I thought this was great. I felt good to have some victory. Yeah. Oof. If I don't get my... Okay, so what was your favorite part of these two chapters? I have a favorite part and an honorable mention. Ooh, okay. I mean, that's hard to do. It's it's hard to pick one, I feel like, in the concluding chapters. It really is. It really is. I feel like my favorite part was the whole combination of um, the Emmonsfield women fighting the Trollocs. Yeah. With their makeshift weapons and whatever they could find. Yeah. And their bravery, because we've heard so much about what the um, Two Rivers folk are like. Yeah. And it just shows the, you know, the heart of Manatherin or whatever. Manetherin? Yes. Uh, the heart, like the heart of Manetherin people and their, like, strength running strong and their bravery because we find out later that the White Cloaks were just chilling. Yep. Chilling hard, like cowards. And they were like, well, they're not going to do anything we are. And they just kind of soldiered on. And I love that they got called out by it as well. Yes. So that is definitely my favorite part. And then honorable mention, I really liked the conversation between Perrin and Fayil when she returns. And he's like, promise me, like, we'll never be mad at each other. And she's like, that's not realistic. We're going to be mad at each other. That's not how it works but promise me that when we are mad at each other we'll always talk about it yeah what a healthy message <sighs> that i'm learning <laughs> whether they'll I stick to that or up. not is another story <laughs> sure exactly but i just i love these little moments of real real humanity not just silly yeah. nonsense like oh yeah ha, ha, we're just regular people but like real g- character growth like yeah even nynaeve realizing that her and Ajina don't have that much difference between them yeah despite her feelings towards her and who she comes from and all that yeah love that that's that's my honorable mention but hard to pick but what about you yeah i think my favorite part of these two chapters is when bodhi cawthon gets pulled into the air by her braid and stabs a trolloc in the neck if that is not in the show i will be very sad because that's one of my favorite moments uh in this book i just the yeah the bravery of the two rivers folk is so amazing and you know it it ter- starts off as this chapter where Perrin is certain everyone will die today mm-hmm. and that uh this letter maybe somebody will recover eventually but uh you know he'll never see Fayil again he's gonna die and kind of everything starts to indicate that at the beginning of the chapter and it like the tide turns suddenly and you get uh, a terrific victory that kind of didn't seem like it was going to be coming no not at all um so i i i love that chapter so much because it's it's a very emotional chapter like a lot there's a lot of action and there's a lot of emotion in this chapter Mm -hmm. that i you know in battle scenes you don't always get it's a, a lot of like and then he stabbed this and da 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 you know so the fact that there was so much character in this battle scene, I think, was so impressive. I really, really liked that a lot. Yeah, I thought um, it was so well done. I was emotional reading it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was emotional retelling it to you now. I was, like, getting creaky-voiced. I know. I loved it. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I think, probably one, I obviously, as I've said a, a hundred thousand times, uh, this is my favorite book of the series, 
um, even though they're all amazing in their own way. Like, I, and I think largely it's this chapter, like this chapter and the chapter where Nynaeve is battling Magedion, yeah. I think are the two standout chapters in this book for me. Yeah, that was so good too. I, I don't even know where really? we're going to go in just two chapters. I was looking at the, I didn't look at anything, but I was just seeing that the name of the next book is, I think, Fires from Heaven. Of heaven, of yeah. Of heaven. I was like, I don't even know where we're going. Like, when the next book was The Shadow Rising, I'm like, okay, bad guys are, are coming to light. But mm, the fires mm-hmm. of heaven, I was like, I don't even know what that is. Is that related to, like, the dragon? What is that even going to hmm. be? So I'm very curious to see. I have no idea where they're going to wrap up, what they're going to wrap up, who's going to reveal themselves. Are we going to find out what Rand really means when he says he's going to break all the rules? I mean, Mm. are we going to return to see what happens with, uh, like I said, with Swan? And, oh my gosh. And you just made me think of this too. If Padan Fane is heading to the White Tower eventually, it's already sort of been corrupted by dark forces. What's that going to look like? Because he doesn't really work for anybody. Right. He's He's kind of of a a wild card. Rogue. Yeah. Rogue baddie. A rogue, yes. Yes, yeah. (laughs) I'm just so curious. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Cool Story is an indie podcast, and if you enjoy listening to us and think other folks might too, the best thing that you could do is to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you use to listen to our episodes, because that is sincerely what helps other people find us. Yes, and the second best thing you can do is recommend our podcast to a friend, because you have good taste and people respect your opinion. And we love connecting with our listeners, so feel free to send us an email at coolstorypod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cool Story Pod and Twitter at Cool Story Pod One. Yes, and if you want, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash N and Matt. Thank you so much for listening to Cool Story. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.